The reasons to treat yourself to a frozen drink from Mickey D's go on and on and on. It's more than a drink. It's a Mickey D's drink. Your new flavor craze is here. From sweet and fruity frozen Fanta Wild Cherry to the classic cool of a frozen Coca-Cola to the tasty and tart frozen Fanta Blue Raspberry. Get any size for $1.59. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the History of Skipton with me, Ian Lockwood, author of the book, The History of Skipton. In our last episode, we broke off from the story of the Lords of Skipton to have a look at life for the common folk in medieval Skipton. Now we're back to the Cliffords and into the Tudor era, one of the most popular periods in English history. You can hardly escape the television dramas and documentaries about the key players in this era. Some of them are excellent, some of them dubious. But it's a period in which the Cliffords played some key roles. However, in episode 45, we left John the Butcher Clifford, also known as Black-Hearted Clifford, shot through the throat with a crossbow bolt at the Battle of Towton in 1461. The annihilation of the Lancastrian forces at Towton secured the crown for the Yorkist Edward IV, he set about ensuring that his triumph would not be short-lived. In November 1461, Edward summoned Parliament and passed an Act of Attainder. This was an official declaration that the Cliffords were traitors, and as such, the lands and titles were forfeited to the Crown to be divided up among the King's supporters. Thus, the Clifford lands in Westmoreland were given to the Earl of Warwick. He's the chap known to history by his nickname of Warwick the Kingmaker. While Skipton was given to Lord Stanley, the Northwest magnate whose family were rivals of the Cliffords. It was the arrival of the new regime of Edward IV which was to give rise to the legend of the Shepherd Lord. When black-hearted Clifford died at Towton, his son, Henry, was aged seven. The Act of Attainder officially stripped Henry and his family of their lands and castles. The legend is that his mother sent Henry into the countryside to live in obscurity and anonymity, where he was to be raised as a simple shepherd boy. Motivated by fear of vengeful Yorkie supporters murdering the young boy, the shepherd lord, as he became known, led a frugal life, wandering the hills with his sheep to avoid the Yorkist plots. And then the death of Richard III brought a distant Lancastrian claimant to the throne as King Henry VII. At this point, the now adult Henry Clifford returned from his life as a shepherd to a public role, and had his lands restored to him. Although his humble childhood meant he always retained an affinity to the agricultural labourers on his estates. He was nicknamed the Shepherd Lord. That is the legend. Certainly, the young Clifford went into a sort of hiding, as there was still plenty of opposition to the new king's regime, 
but Edward IV proved a strong and invincible ruler. The Yorkists effectively wiped out the Lancastrian leaders, and after two years, his mother, who had remarried, was referring openly to Henry's situation. It was no longer a secret. Now aged nine, Henry Clifford was no longer considered a potential threat, and he was living at his maternal grandfather's home, Lonsborough Hall, near Pockington. It would not have taken a great deal of detective work to discover his whereabouts, especially as his stay in the humble cottage of a shepherd was unlikely to have lasted long, if it even happened at all, before his transferal to the more spacious hall. Skipton, of course, was no longer in the possession of the Cliffords. Edward IV proved to be the opposite type of ruler to his weak predecessor. And with the bulk of the Lancastrian hierarchy dead, he felt safe enough to let what passed for normality begin to return to his land. The eminent 19th century historian Dr Whittaker stripped aside the legend to write, The concealment of Henry Clifford was not so entire, nor his situation so dangerous, as tradition has represented it. So, if you read anything different on the internet on a hastily knocked together history of Skipton, treat it with extreme caution. So, when the Lancastrian family tree had run out of claimants, and almost all its chief supporters had been killed, Edward IV seems to have been more interested in restoring the stability of his kingdom than vindictive pursuit of a minor erstwhile opponent. When he reached his 18th birthday in March 1472, Henry Clifford's name was amongst those granted a general pardon. For more than a decade, Skipton more or less forgot about Henry Clifford, condemned to leading a circumspect life in comfort, but relative obscurity in Lonsborough. The town itself was of minor importance to the Stanleys, and in 1475, they swapped it for the Lordship of Chirk in mid-Wales. The new owner was the king's youngest brother, Richard, Duke of Gloucester, better known as the evil Richard III, thanks to the work of William Shakespeare, whose hatchet job on Clifford's father I've already remarked upon. Richard III or Richard of Gloucester as he was when he took control of Skipton, has had a better press in the north of England, where he was brought up and where the bulk of his lands lay. By acquiring Skipton, Richard was filling in some gaps in his northern empire and taking possession of a strategically important castle. He may well have visited Skipton while Duke of Gloucester, but it certainly did not when he became king. There is a record of him paying £20 for repairs to Holy Trinity Church. In 1483, King Edward IV died unexpectedly. The throne should have passed to his eldest son, but Richard seized the crown for himself. His motives and justification for so doing have been discussed elsewhere, 
but his seizure of the throne and the disappearance of the late king's sons created an unstable question mark over the validity of his claim. An obscure Welsh claimant to the throne, Henry Tudor, invaded and Richard was to lose his life alongside his crown at the Battle of Bosworth near Leicester in 1485. Yet again, there was a new regime with all the turmoil and uncertainty that brought. But for the Cliffords, the accession of Henry Tudor as King Henry VII was to raise the family up to even greater heights. The new king needed to keep a tight rein on affairs, especially in the north, which had been Richard III's power base. Just three weeks after the Battle of Bosworth, Clifford was called to London, knighted and summoned to Henry's first parliament. There, Henry Clifford presented a petition signed by the king to the assembled peers calling for the Act of Parliament declaring his father's treason to be overturned. It was, and the lands and rights of the Clifford family, existing pre-Towton, were restored to him. Henry Clifford was seen as an important and reliable supporter of the Tudor cause in the North, and he quickly settled into a role as a loyal and efficient administrator. He was also the first Clifford who left documents which provide evidence of his dealings. One of the first was his signature on a letter to the leading citizens of York, which was in a state of sullen resentment after the death of the city's benefactor, Richard III. Acting on behalf of the new king, Clifford proclaimed a pardon for rebels if they accepted the new Tudor regime. A further letter, signed by him, called for an oath of allegiance to be administered and troops to be raised to repel a possible Scottish invasion. When King Henry VII took action in the north, it was often through Henry Clifford. For example, in February 1486, Clifford was instructed to imprison Yorkist subversives in the castle at York. From Skipton, he was instructed to meet the king at Nottingham for a tour of the north in April 1486. And he wrote to the mayor of York, ordering him to be ready to greet the king. Clifford's reward was the highly symbolic title and salary of the king's steward of the lordship of Middleham, the place where Richard III had grown up. Another example of the king's favour was Henry Clifford's new bride, the cousin of the king himself, Anne de Blesco. Henry was also appointed the Sheriff of Westmoreland, and in this capacity he accepted the submission of rebels from the Furness area, who, in early 1487, denied the king's right to rule, but the rebellion fizzled out. Far more serious was the rebellion of Lambert Simnel, who claimed to be the younger of the princes in the tower, the boy children of Edward IV, who had been imprisoned in the Tower of London and then murdered, arguably on the orders of Richard III. In June 1487, 2,000 mercenaries, led by the Earl of Lincoln, invaded from Ireland and crossed into Yorkshire, 
gathering discontented former Yorkists before them. As we have seen, the Cliffords were unwavering in their loyalty to the Lancastrian cause, and Henry Clifford raised his tenants and retainers from Skipton and Westmoreland to oppose them, taking 400 of folks and retinue to York. Joined by others loyal to King Henry VII, he sallied out to confront the rebels, but his lack of military prowess was exposed when he was caught unawares near Bramham, and he and his men were forced to flee. It was little more than a minor skirmish, but Clifford was embarrassed, not least as he lost the wagons containing all his baggage. He fled to the south, where stronger forces defeated the Simnel invasion near Lincoln, and Clifford was in the party which chased and harried the tattered remnants all the way back to Yorkshire. The new queen, king acquired a reputation as a canny manipulator whose top priority was to put the finances of the country into order. Much the same can be said of Henry Clifford, his trusted northern administrator. Clifford seems to have concentrated on his Skipton estates. The castle was modernised. Its living quarters made more comfortable. Its great hall was given a new large window facing south to catch the sun and a two-storey domestic range added to the east curtain wall, topped with his own and his wife's coat of arms. Despite being of considerable importance to the Tudor regime, Henry Clifford shunned London, visiting only rarely. One occasion was in 1494, when he was made a Knight of the Bath. At his side that day was the King's second son, Henry, the future Henry VIII, who was created Duke of York at the same ceremony. In contrast to his development of Skipton, when Bruff Castle in Westmoreland was badly damaged by fire, Henry Clifford made the decision not to spend money repairing it. Similarly, the nearby castle at Pendragon in Westmoreland was allowed to fall into ruin. On the other hand, in Skipton, he built the impressive Barden Towers, some five miles outside Skipton on the banks of the wharf. This was a three-storey hunting lodge with a lead roof covered in turf for insulation. While primarily a place to relax in, it was a formidable structure and was to prove its defensive capability in the reign of the next king. By 1500, Henry Clifford was approaching his 50th birthday, and his image was somewhat tarnished. He had quarrelled with his neighbours, the Tempests of Broughton Hall, over Clifford's right of wardship, which is the control of an underage heir's property and income, until the young man came of age. A court ruled in Tempest's favour, but that only created bad blood in the area. Clifford refused to pay the £1,000 the court said he owed to Tempest, who retaliated by damaging fences and crops in Clifford lands. Clifford responded in kind, and the courts had to step in, ruling in favour of Tempest again. 
1505, the quarrelsome neighbours were back in court. This time, the Tempest claiming Clifford owed them £28 in rent arrears for some land. Again, the Tempest won their case. But Clifford's next step was more akin to gangsterism. He sent his henchmen to pull down the Tempest house at Broughton. Great damage was caused and the overmighty Clifford was summoned to the king and his council to explain his actions. He was bound over in the sum of £2,000 to keep the peace with the threat of a notoriously avaricious crown ready to seize his lands and draw its revenues until the fine plus expenses were paid. The failure of Clifford to pay Tempest that £1,000 brought him before the scrutiny of the crown again and it ordered an investigation into his right to the Westmoreland Estates. This was a common tactic employed by the notoriously a hard-up Henry VII to extract funds from wealthy subjects. What he'd do was announce an inquiry into the rightful ownership of land and charge the owner a large fine to confirm that ownership. It was a crude way of extracting money from a wealthy landowner. Clifford was the undisputed rightful heir, and the inquiry duly confirmed this. But he was to pay a hefty fine of £1,300 for the privilege of being declared the rightful holder of those estates. In 1509, Henry VII died and was succeeded by his son, Henry VIII, and the new regime was soon put to the test. The new king blew away his father's carefully crafted alliances with France and Scotland as he flaunted his military prowess. Spoiling for a fight, he invaded France, which was normally the cue for the Scots to create trouble in the borders, and it duly arrived in 1513. The Scots, led by their king James IV, invaded England while the new king was in France. The country was under the command of the Earl of Surrey, who had assembled somewhat hastily an English army to confront the old enemy. This army consisted of men recruited by the principal northern lords, among them Henry Clifford, and they met the Scots in battle at Flodden Field near Coldstream. The English victory was so crushing that the Scottish threat of invasion was eliminated for decades. A romantic ballad printed more than 200 years later sets out Clifford's role in the English victory at Flodden. For the first time, the common man of Skipton is taken into account. The ballad, or perhaps a poem is a more accurate description, reads in part, From Pennygent to Pendle Hill, from Linton to Long Addingham, and all that craven coasts did till they with the lusty Clifford came. The 18th century historian, Reverend W. Carr of Bolton Abbey, unearthed among the notebooks of the Clifford family a list of the followers of Henry at the battle and the number 
of men who came from each village to support him at the battle. For example, 34 men came from Settle, 7 from Appletreewick, 11 from Carlton, totalling 328 from the district. But there is no entry from Skipton. My 19th century predecessor as the historian of Skipton, W.H. Dawson, comments about the lack of any notice of any men from Skipton at the Battle of Flodden in this way. It is strange that Skipton, which must have been contributing heavily to the troop, is not mentioned. Probably only a portion of the roll was discovered and the rest has been lost. It is a shame that the exact number of Skiptonians at the important Battle of Flodden is not known, but it is evident that they and their neighbours played a key role. Given the size of the contingents from neighbouring villages, at least 100 Skipton men at the battle is entirely possible. Clifford, by now nearly 60 years old, was in the vanguard of the English lines with his men. The English were entirely triumphant, killing thousands of Scots, including their king, James IV. Seven large Scottish cannons, which were dubbed the Seven Sisters, were captured. Three of them ended up as trophies in Skipton Castle, where they were to be an object of pride until the Civil War, when they were taken away by the victorious parliamentary and parliamentarian forces after the castle's surrender. Just as the Tudors were filling their empty treasury, so too did Henry Clifford attend to the family coffers. His records show that he was able to loan £1,000 to the young Henry VIII for a military expedition to France. When one of his tenants in Carlton, called John Dale, proved a little backward in coming forward, with his dues to the estate. Clifford had him locked up in Skipton Castle, although he put him up in a fair chamber and had gave him free access for visitors. He appears to have enjoyed the finer things in life. Expensive tapestries were hung on the walls of Skipton Castle. Elaborate pieces of armour were bought for his armoury. A minstrel paid £1 a year in salary accompanied him at Skipton and in Westmoreland. And in 1510 and 11, a clockmaker came up from London to install a large clock in a tower above the Great Hall at considerable expense. Henry Clifford, the 10th Lord of Skipton, who supposedly had started his life as a shepherd, was to live to the age of 70. He left a considerably enlarged estate to his ancestors, milking large profits from them and the stewardship of other estates. In his last years, he became increasingly interested, almost obsessed, in alchemy, retreating to Barden Towers and buying up books on the subject. The image of a miserly, eccentric, perhaps lonely old man is not helped by his rouse with his son and a legal case brought against him by his second wife, Lady Florence Pudsey, 
for restoration of her conjugal rights. The case was heard in the Ecclesiastical Court at York in 1521. This was held in front of prominent church members, where it was said that Lady Florence had been refused permission to live and sleep with Henry at Barden Towers. The case lifted the lid on the sexual morals of the Clifford family. Henry had married Lady Florence after his first wife had died in 1508, and she had produced a daughter, Dorothy, in 1510. Henry defended himself with his own allegations of his wife's adultery, with one of his principal officers responsible for running the Skipton Estates, Roger Wharton. Henry may have initially turned a blind eye to his cuckoldry, for he was a notorious philanderer himself. His great-granddaughter, Lady Anne Clifford, admitted in her diary that he had many base children. Wharton, when asked by the ecclesiastical lawyers whether he had slept with Lady Florence, responded that he would not deny it, for a man may be in bed with a woman and yet do no hurt. And your lordship may ask Jane Brown, and she can tell your lordships altogether. Who Jane Brown was, and what was her relationship to Henry Clifford, was not revealed, but evidently the principal players and the court knew exactly what Wharton was talking about. The allegations against Lady Florence were enough to destroy her case, and the ecclesiastical court declined to endorse her claim. Henry was now an old man, and he died, probably at Barden Towers, on April the 23rd, 1523. He was the last of the Clifford Lords to be buried at Bolton Abbey, and upon his death, his lands passed into the hands of the son he considered a wastrel and a rogue. Yet that son, also called Henry, was to be promoted to an earldom, and the Cliffords were to embark upon the most glorious century of their reign over Skipton. Find out about that more about that reign in the next episode. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 